Although many of us strive to be the best dad we can be, many physicians struggle with finding balance between their life at home and their life at work. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast, the show where we discuss topics involving our minds, bodies, beliefs, relationships at home, and upping our game with our business practices and financial knowledge to better improve our role as dad in the lives of those around us. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, physician, husband, father to two boys, and self-proclaimed imperfect dad. Join me as I learn to raise my own imperfections within all these topics. Now, let's get to today's discussion. Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, and this week I figured I would give a quick COVID update um, involving kids because, you know, I'm a pediatrician, I'm a dad, and I think as parents it's, it's, it's important for us to stay up to date on what's going on with this stuff, not what everybody's talking about in the media, but what's going on with the vaccines, how it's affecting our kids, how it's affecting us too, because as parents, it's kind of important. But before we get into that, let's hear from this week's sponsor, which is Laurel Road. You're you in 30 years. Whoa. Some advice. Open a Laurel Road checking account when you refinance your student loans. You could get a rate as low as 1.37% variable APR, plus a cash bonus. I can do that. Also, don't date Parker. Ew, the defense attorney? Trust me. Save yourself with Laurel Road. Visit laurelroad.com slash save yourself for more information. Rates depend on your credit profile and include discounts. Terms and conditions apply. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank, member FDIC. Okay, so as mentioned at the beginning of the show, this week I am going to just give a quick update on just some COVID topics, things I've run across, and maybe you haven't seen and I want to make sure you were aware of them. Uh, If you've been kind of following me along at all, you may know that our two boys who are eight and five got their vaccines and they are now over two weeks past their second vaccine, which made them both very excited. Um, They did great. Of course, it's the Pfizer vaccine. It's the only one for their age. They didn't have any side effects, any issues there. So I'm pretty happy to say that. Um... If you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen this post, but if not, it was actually pretty funny after their second shot. Our five-year-old got really excited after his second shot, tore his mask off, threw it on the ground, and he said, I'm fully vaccinated. I don't have to wear this thing anymore. And our eight-year-old looked at him and he said, actually, you have to wait two more weeks before you're fully vaccinated. And our five-year-old just kind of looked at him and says, oh, man, and he picks up his mask and puts it back on. And it was a funny moment, but... You know, when I look at that moment to me as a parent, it shows me that my kids are actually listening to me when I talk to them about this stuff. Now, I'm not pushing this stuff down their throat. I'm not like being super anxious and anal about it, but I'm talking to them about it and it showed me they were listening, which to me was a really cool moment. And it's a good reminder because your kids are always listening to you when it comes to these topics. So just keep that in the back of your head. Now, One of the big topics has been with these kids and the vaccines has kind of been the duration, right? The the spacing between the the first and second dose. And the main reason that's been a hot topic is because of the whole myocarditis topic. And people are concerned that, you know, after that second dose, some kids have had a higher risk for myocarditis, and so should we space it out? And there weren't a lot of studies early on talking about this. They weren't really showing, you know, what's better. Is it better to stay at the three to four week mark or or waiting longer? And, you know, most of the clinical trials were around that three weeks. So that's just what we've done for Pfizer. Well, there are some studies starting to come out, and I ran across a couple of these from the podcast uh, This Week in Virology, or TWIV. And if you don't know what that is, it 
is a podcast. It's it's a little bit longer. It's usually over an hour for the episodes, but they get very in-depth on virology, these papers, all the specifics behind it. So you really want to nerd out and get the scientific stuff, go check out their podcast. They're pretty popular now thanks to COVID, sadly. I mean, you hate to say that, but uh, you get a lot of really good information from them. So go check that out because you will get some good info from it. Um, And two of the articles that they actually linked to in one of their sites that they were talking about, one was um, from Clinical Infectious Diseases. It was released November 30th, 2021. Brian Grunal et al. is the author with many others. And the title of the article was a higher antibody response is generated with a six to seven week versus standard severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus to vaccine dosing interval. So what they were doing was they were looking at how are the intervals different from doing like that three week versus waiting till about six or seven weeks. Now, this study was not done in kids. This was actually done in paramedics. And what they did is they basically compared people who got the typical 17 to 28 day um, duration between doses and compared them to uh, people who waited a little bit longer between 42 and 49 days in their intervals. And what they found was it looked like the longer dosing interval resulted in higher spike receptor binding domain and spike and terminal domain antibody concentrations. So a bunch of antibodies having higher spikes after that second dose. And there's some um, some of the, that makes sense for this. And the reason why is because after an initial infection, even though your antibodies spike, you get some development of your B cells, T cells, and that can take some time, some mat- the maturation of those. And so if you look at that three to four week interval and you get that second dose, it's possible that your B cell maturation just hasn't fully finished at that time. Whereas when you wait a little bit longer, you get full B cell, fuller B cell maturation, which maybe results in a higher um, antibody release. Now, that's all great. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. Does that mean we need to change to a six to seven week interval? Probably not. Um, but it's also saying that if you do have to wait longer, it's not a bad thing and maybe could be a good thing. Now, with that said, what does it mean? your antibody levels go up, but as we know, over time, your antibody levels still drop. And they, I don't believe, looked at the duration of these. They just looked at what the concentrations were after vaccines in a certain time frame. And so we know antibody levels are going to drop either way, but we still do know that your B-cell, T-cell maturation and, and everything is pretty good after the two doses with the three to four week interval. Same with this interval too. And so Again, we measure a lot of our antibody responses based on these circulating antibodies, and we know with vaccines that you're still trying to get that memory B-cell, T-cell response. And ultimately, long-term, does this matter? Possibly not. Long-term, it probably either one's going to be fine for you because you're still getting this B and T-cell response. Whereas um, if you're looking at the short-term, what is my antibody response right now when I get my second dose? It may be better after that six to week, seven week interval. It's hard to say. Now, there was another study they looked at, and this one was published in Cell, Host, and Microbe on December 3rd, 2021. And the title of it was Strong Humoral Immune Responses Against SARS CoV 2 Spike After BNT 162B2 mRNA Vaccination with a 16 week interval between doses. And this was by Alexander Towson et al. And so 16 weeks, this is longer than what I just said was six and seven weeks, right? But what they were doing was basically looking at um, individuals and how was their immune response with this 16 to seven week uh, response basically versus those who did the normal interval. Now this study, the problem with this study, they didn't have as many uh, participants. So I think the 
virus-naive group, meaning people who had never been infected and people who had never had the vaccine, they had around 26 people in this. Um, the virus uh, previously infected, they had around 27. And what they did is they basically you know, checked antibodies on day zero. And of course, the people who had never had infection had no antibodies, whereas those who were previously infected did have some antibodies and in some response in terms of their immune response. And then they gave them their first shot. They checked the levels, see how they did. And then they did another dose at 16 weeks and rechecked levels again. So they didn't have the control group here for that three to four week response because they were going off of previous data from other places and other studies and use that. And so... So in that, like I said, um, the virus-naive group, that was 26 people. In the previous infected, they had 27 people, but actually only, I believe, 15 of them got the second dose, and 12 didn't get a second dose. So that, But they actually still looked at their responses there. And the interesting he- thing here was, when you looked at the people who had never been infected and had their first dose, and then that second dose, they had a really, really strong antibody response after that second dose. And then when they compared it to people who had been previously infected, they actually didn't see as big of a jump on that second dose in the previously infected people. And it looks like the dose or the response after the second dose was very similar to response after the first dose. Now, that kind of makes sense, right? Because these people had already been infected. And so then they already had some of this B cell and T cell maturation. Now, these people, I believe, had had pri- previously positive PCRs for COVID at least nine months before. So it had been a while since they've been infected. And so they'd had an antibody response after that first dose, which was great. But the second dose um, response for these people was actually very similar to those who had only gotten one dose. And so that also brings up a big, really big question for, you know, our country and, you know, globally, when you look at these vaccines is number one, people who have never been infected, when, what's the duration, what's the interval? And again, I think we can play around with this interval as much as we want to. Um, and you're going to get various results in terms of which one is quote unquote, the best. But again, you, you're not, if you're not looking at your long-term B-cell, T-cells, I don't think it's going to matter as much in my mind. Um, but for those who've been previously infected and then they get their first dose of vaccine, do you need another one? Do you need a second dose? And that's always that big question. Do you need it? Do you need it? Um, and some countries don't. Some countries just have you do one dose and that's it. Afterwards, compared to those who've never been infected, they'll have you do the two with these mRNA vaccines. And I think that's important because when you're looking at vaccine availability, when you're looking at vaccines for across the world and trying to allow for those people to get it. Now, I understand that you can give a country a bunch of vaccines. It doesn't mean they're going to use them. It's all based on their population and their beliefs and those kind of things. Um, But it's important to know these topics because it really is going to push what we do for years to come when when it has to do with COVID. The other thing with this, though, too, is let's say you do say we're going to delay our intervals a little bit here. Well, then that actually pushes back a need for future boosters, right? So if instead of getting, you got one dose and then you get another dose three or four weeks later, well, now in six months, I got to get my booster. Well, let's say we take this study that looked at 16 weeks. So that's about four months. You get one dose. Four months later, I got my second dose. Well, now I'm not even getting my booster for another six months, which is 10 months after my first dose. So you're getting more of a spread there in terms of the need for it. 
Now, again, am I telling you to go get your first dose or have your kids get their first dose and then wait for four months before your second dose? No, I'm not. Because number one, these studies were not done on kids. These were on adults. Number two, the population sizes within these groups were pretty tiny. And so, again, these are really great starter studies to look at and kind of compare to the general population and maybe open it up for you know these longer interval studies. But until we know, and when it comes to our kids, it's important to stick with what we do know. And we do know the three to four week intervals are still really good for kids. It's great for their long-term memory cell response in terms of immune response. And the big reason I'm bringing this up is that I've had a lot of parents, you know, ask, oh my gosh, what if we can't make it to the three weeks? What if we had to wait until five weeks? Is that a problem? Is that going to be an issue? And, you know, when you look at this, it, I think you should be comfortable knowing, hey, it's okay if I can't get right at three weeks. It's okay if I have to wait till five weeks or six weeks or 10 weeks um, for whatever reason. And I don't know what those reasons would be. But if you have to wait because of that, I think this data is showing us it's actually probably okay to do it. And in some cases, could be better. But I can't say that because, again, there's a lot of um, stuff you still got to look at with these types of studies. And, again, with small populations, it's hard to compare to large populations when you look at these studies. But still good papers there. Now, another interesting article that I found when listening to TWIV was they did look at uh, a study from Cell Reports Medicine that was released uh, December 1st, 2021. And this is looking at, you know, breast milk and the vaccine. And we have a lot of moms ask us, hey, should, you know, if I get vaccinated and I have um, antibodies in my breast milk, is that going to transfer to my kid and help protect them? And one of my concerns with this was that, okay, antibodies are going to transfer, but if they are IgG antibodies, meaning the antibodies that typically live in your blood, well, is it going to help you? Is it just going to get into the stomach and get broken up and not actually get absorbed or really help the baby? You know, is this going to be beneficial? Um, but there was a study that was released um, in December 1st, 2021, and it was by uh, Juliana Gonclaves et al. And it was titled uh, Secretary Secretory IgA and T cells targeting SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and transfer to the breast milk upon mRNA vaccination. I know, lots of words. These things always have a lot of words. And so, um, but basically, in a nutshell, what did they find? They found that moms who had been vaccinated, uh, and, and these are breastfeeding moms, did produce not just the IgG antibodies in their breast milk, but also secretory IgA and T cells in their breast milk. And the important one there for me specifically is the IgA. And why is that? IgA antibodies are the ones that live on your mucosal membranes, meaning your nose, your throat, your gut, though all the areas that are normally going to get exposed first to infections, including SARS-CoV-2. And so if these kids are getting IgA hey, maybe they're getting more colonized with it. Maybe that's going to help protect them better. Now, what they found was that the levels were kind of low in the breast milk. So they couldn't say like, hey, you feed your kid one time and they're protected. But if this is something you're doing multiple times a day for long periods of time, you're probably getting their levels up there to actually protect them pretty well. And so I think that's just positive. That's a positive thing to know in the pediatric world as a parent that if you are a breastfeeding mom, or if your spouse is a breastfeeding mom and they get vaccinated while being while breastfeeding, their uh, antibodies are not only going to jump up, but the antibodies in the breast milk are going to, and it looks like it's going to be pretty protective for the kid in some way. Now, I can't tell you the exact number, how well it's going to protect your kid, what are the values, how much do you have to feed every day to get this, but all of this is really good science, and so no negative things here. But those are cool studies, I think. For me, as 
number one pediatrician, as a parent, knowing these things, I believe, is really important, not just for us, but for our kids. Um, and again, we're in this weird situation where um, our kids are still dealing with COVID and it's not easy. And hey, we're coming up on Christmas and a lot of us are kind of worried, right, about not just travel, but we don't want to get our family sick. We want to be able to see our families and knowing more about these things, knowing how to protect our families and our kids is going to be the best way to protect them. So I hope I didn't bore you there. I know talking papers and data and all that stuff isn't very exciting. I barely scratched the surface on these papers. If you really want to get in-depth on on the topics about it and the ins and outs and what they could have done better, go listen to This Week in Virology, the podcast. It's, it's a really informative one if you really want to know the depths of these things. I'm just brushing the surface for you guys because I'm not a virologist, but I do find it very interesting. Um, but let me know what you think. Let me know if you guys get anything out of these episodes. Again, these episodes are purely just for information for you in case it's something you haven't heard yet. Again, I think as a parent and as a physician, it's important that we just stay up to date on this stuff. All right. So I hope you guys are safe. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're staying healthy for the holiday season because Lord knows some people aren't. And it's going to really affect their travel plans. And I'm actually going to talk about that here on the Friday episode. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, but otherwise... Uh, keep going guys embrace the imperfections of parenting the imperfections of COVID and the imperfections of all the things we know about it because obviously it's constantly changing and don't forget about our sponsor this week with Laurel Roads there is a link to that in the show notes if you're interested in it Um, I really appreciate them sponsoring this week and they're actually going to be my sponsor for the next several weeks and so um, you'll get to know them pretty well otherwise you got this embrace the imperfection I'll see you next time my dad Dr. Jeremy Toffel is a pediatrician, father, and husband. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to be medical advice and is for your education and entertainment only.